I think I've said hi to everyone except Vivek, but we met each other in Shanghai last week. Yes. So. Um, so first of all, um, thank you for uh, attending this panel, uh, both to the audience and to um, the panelists. I'll uh, introduce the panel uh, and myself. My name is Nicholas Duran. I'm a director and partner at Friendly Securities in the investment banking team. Um, Carlos, who's the CFO of, uh, of uh, D'Amico, uh, D'Amico Tankers. And uh, Per Echtelt, uh, CFO of the newly uh, formed uh, Hafnia Tankers, meaning post-merger of uh, BW Tankers and, and Hafnia. Um, Andreas Röda, who's uh, head of uh, business development at, uh, and M&A at uh, Ocean Yield. Uh, we have Vivek, who uh, works for the Scorpio Group uh, as a finance director. And um, Christos Begleris, co-CFO of Starbulk. Uh, so actually, we have two companies that, or three companies that are uh, leading in their fields here. Uh, I don't know who's biggest now of Scorpio and Hafnia on the product tanker side, but it's one of you. So um, certainly um, a good panel to have. And, and Starbulk, as, as you know, after the mergers with uh, Songebulk and um, ABY, have, uh, have become the largest listed dry cargo owner. So a very good panel. So um, I'd like to start off by making a comment, and then I'll ask the panelists a few questions. Um, the Japanese market, as we've heard from other sources here today and, you know, in recent years, um, is famous for being very selective. Uh, and gaining access is, and usually is a fairly time-consuming exercise for Western companies. Some of the companies represented on this panel have been active in the Japanese market for a long time. Uh, both the BW Group and, and D'Amico has, has uh, had a lot of activity here in Japan while others are, are relative newcomers, uh, I guess in particular uh, Oshniild and, and Starbulk into the Japanese market. So if we start with uh, you, Carlos, maybe you can tell us a little bit about whether you've noticed any significant changes in this market over the last five years or so, and in what ways? I mean, you having tapped this market for a considerable amount of time. Yeah, uh, thanks. Yeah, as you're correctly mentioning, I mean, we, we as the Miko Group uh, have had very strong relationships here in Japan for, for many years. Uh, and that was uh, very useful for us uh, recently uh, because we, we could tap uh, and use these relationships uh, to refinance a number of our vessels on the sale leaseback market. Uh, I must say that also on the banking market, uh, Japan is very important for us. We, we work with 14 different banks, but our biggest bank today is a Japanese bank. Uh, on the sale-leaseback market, we, we, we explore the, uh, the, the, the various alternatives out there. Uh, and, um, and uh, of course, uh, Japan was one of them. And... Uh, uh, the Japanese market maybe has as its main drawback the fact that uh, you cannot do large deals. Um, uh, you usually do one vessel at a time. But actually, that suited our needs. That's what uh, the way we wanted to proceed. Uh, we wanted to refinance uh, just as much as we needed and, uh, and not more. And we wanted to take a gradual approach because 
we, we thought that the recovery actually was going to arrive earlier than, uh, than it did. And we are now seeing some signs of improvement, but it's still not, not where we would like it to be, where we expect it to be um, in the near future. Um, that we that we like the Japanese market not only uh, we like the Japanese market because of the flexibility that, that it offered us. I think it was mentioned on the previous panel. Uh, we managed to secure deals which are both long, ten years usually, uh, and with uh, purchase options starting on the second anniversary. Uh, at any point in time, uh, with three months' notice, on a few deals we had options starting on the third anniversary. Uh, the terms, I would say, uh, were tighter than we could achieve in other markets. Uh, we looked at, uh, we talked with uh, U.S. funds, we talked with uh, Norwegian funds, we, we we looked at the Chinese market too, um, and uh, and uh, we really, in term, both in terms of pricing and in terms of flexibility, we we thought that uh, the, Jap the Japanese market was the most attractive for us. Well, the first deal we did was in May 17. Uh, and we have uh, done eight sale spec deals, uh, each one uh, one in uh, one vessel at a time. Uh, and I would say that the terms haven't really changed that much for us. I mean, they were pretty similar. Um, and uh, but what we hear uh, by talking to the to the trading houses, uh, uh, to the to the. The uh, Japanese community in general is that that the market has become more competitive. Uh, a lot more people came to Japan uh, to tap into this market on the sale leaseback deals, and uh, and therefore the terms now uh, achievable are not always as attractive as they were a few years ago. Uh, maybe slightly lower LTVs and uh, slightly higher pricing. Uh, yeah, basically that's it. So. Um you know, pedigree and, and history often seemingly trump uh, credit metrics and balance sheets in terms of importance when sourcing uh, debt in Japan. At least that's been our experience. Um, this means that, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, relationship-driven deals in Japan, for better or worse. Um, this means that being a public company is not always an advantage because if you have ownership which is fragmented across hedge funds and private equity funds and all kinds of investors, um, and you don't have a very strong sort of single-family owner, um, that's sometimes seen uh, as a negative thing from a Japanese perspective. So, um, you know, Starbuck, Christos, uh, you're a recent entrant to the Japanese market. Uh, you, of course, have a very strong balance sheet and uh, are good credit but you're also listed and have private equity as a strong owner in your, in your um, ownership structure, etc. Have you seen these things as a challenge? Um, Nicholas, I would partly agree with you. Uh, you said recent entrant in the Japanese market. Sorry, finance market. It's Japanese only market. in the finance market that yeah, we've sorry. recently tapped the Japanese market. Actually, our principal has been uh, doing in business in Japan both on the time chartering in business, as well as on sale and purchases, as well as building vessels for uh, the last 20 years. So I would agree with you that as far as reputation and being led by a principal who has strong ties to Japan is concerned, that definitely has been very helpful in uh, us allowing us to also tap the Japanese financing markets. Um, however, 
What has also been uh, extremely um, convenient, I was recently talking to one of our Japanese owners who's a lessor on a financing transaction that we're doing, is the fact that because we are publicly listed, we have a holding structure and we have complete transparency. And this for the Japanese financing providers has a lot of value. Um, and I guess if we were a private company, uh, we wouldn't be as transparent as we are being uh, publicly listed. So on the one hand, yes, you need the relationship angle and you need a strong principal who has a good reputation of, um, of always keeping his promises and uh, of his financing uh, partners never losing money on him. But uh, on the other hand, you, you also benefit from the holding structure, the size, as well as the transparency of, uh, of a listed company. Okay, thank you. Um, so, you know, there are also, there's also another company or other companies here on the panel that uh, not only pass the quantitative uh, credit tests, um, but also tick all the more qualitative, call it Japanese boxes, so pedigree and track record and these other things we, uh, we spoke about. Um, and for you, uh, and I'd like Perry to answer this, uh, now having BW as, as uh, your largest shareholder, um, do you feel that the capital available uh, in Japan is in the quantities and at the terms that make it uh, worthwhile maintaining an active presence uh, in the sort of Japanese uh, finance market, such as, for example, D'Amico has done? Yeah, um, so, so in January, the merger between uh, BW Tankers and Hafnia took place. Uh, that means that two capital structures came together uh, it's in total uh, a little bit over 100 ships owned and operated uh, uh, by the combination. Um, so that's a larger balance sheet. Uh, you have to look at multiple uh, financing sources. Um, you rightfully say that uh, BW, uh, still being 65% uh, shareholder of the company, uh, has a very long history um, uh, in Japan, whether it be with the shipyards, uh, for time charter in, with the owners, uh, clients, the petrochemical companies, uh, etc. Uh, we haven't been very active in the Japanese financing market uh, uh, recently. There's a few sale and leasebacks that we have um, at the moment. Um, going forward, definitely we'll be looking at the Japanese market as well. Um, uh, typically financed by commercial bank financing. Um, but with the growth that we've seen, uh, the availability of capital, definitely we'll be working on uh, extending those relationships in Japan as well. Okay. Nicholas, if I may add from, uh, from my side, I think the ability to do large transactions um, is, uh, is something that, uh, unfortunately, right now we do not look uh, Japan for. Because, uh, for example, um, in China, we, we are able to write, uh, to go to a lender, to a, to a lessor, and underwrite deals close to 200 million. Um, same holds for uh, European banks. Um, we recently closed on uh, two or three large syndicates, and all of them were north of 200 million. Um, in Japan, the tickets are small. Um, so you're talking from anything from 10 to 30 million. Um, uh, however, it's, uh, it's definitely a market that uh, one company should have access to uh, because of the flexibility, the terms. Uh, the pricing, the competitiveness that it offers. Yeah, that, those are valid points, and, and that uh, draws us to our next uh, 
our next topic, which is you know uh, access to to sizable transactions. And I think apart from uh, maybe Jolco's um, and um, debt transactions that are backed by some sort of long-term contract to an end user, we haven't really seen, uh, or we don't really see a lot of uh, lending or financing capacity above sort of $50 million ticket size. Um, so a uh, question for Andreas from Ocean Yield. The size of the counterparty universe in Japan for companies who own larger and more expensive assets, such as uh, uh, ultra-large container vessels, LNGCs, VLCCs, shuttle tankers, etc., is therefore quite limited. What has been your experience in overcoming uh, ticket size limitations when uh, working with Japan? Well, first of all, I want to say that the next time you have a deal in $200 million, you can always come to us. You don't uh, have to travel all the way down here. We can, we can sort that out easily. Um, no, but I think that it's a, it's a good point, and, and size clearly matters. Um, I think when it comes to, to raising capital for larger transactions or for larger, particularly more complex vessels, and this was also mentioned on the, on the previous panel, I think patience is, is definitely a virtue, and you need to, to be uh, patient, and it takes more time to, to educate the potential uh, financing sources on uh, the type of vessel that you're looking to finance, and also the bigger the size, probably the greater the uh, the demand for um, for the type of, and also the number of, of, of creditors that you enter a facility. I think we we've been um, uh, successful putting together sort of a either a syndicate which is underwritten by one financial institution, which is then bringing in uh, traditional smaller Japanese banks um, into the transaction, or even. Uh, you know, building a syndicate uh, as part of putting the transaction together. So you actually have two, three, or four uh, financing providers that come into a transaction together, uh, ensuring that you get a size which is sort of, you know, $75 million or thereabouts. So, so it's definitely possible, but, but it takes more time. Okay. And so it, someone mentioned earlier that uh, the market has become a bit more competitive as, as there have been a lot of new entrants and... Um, and uh, that also means that at face value, as Carlos mentioned this, um, the terms may not seem as attractive because you don't get the leverage and maybe pricing may have, have uh, spread out a bit. Um, but the question for, for Scorp uh, Scorpio, um, there seems to be a lot of rigidity in the Japanese market, but you have announced multiple uh, financing uh, transactions in Japan that have been structured in a somewhat more creative way and, and differently from a lot of the traditional Japanese uh, lease financing deals. Um, they've been done at lower leverage, but I suspect that you must have gotten something in return. So maybe you can tell us a bit about your experience there. Absolutely. Firstly, I would like to say good, good afternoon, everyone. Um, we at Scorpio have uh, done a few transactions similar to Carlos. We've been doing it on a bilateral basis, mainly with uh, local owners. So far, we've concluded five uh, transactions, all sale leasebacks. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that the leverage is low. You know, if you look at the financing amounts that we were able to obtain at that time and uh, compare it to the then prevailing market value of the ships, probably it was between 70 to 80% leverage. So I would say it's decent. And, uh, in fact, we've done some transactions in China, like 75 80% leverage as well. So the leverage is okay. I think if the credit is good, you can obtain that kind of uh, leverage uh, from the owners in Japan. 
certainly there are a lot of benefits in terms of the terms you get over here, mainly pricing, and uh, that is, of course, a very important consideration for us. But the the negative is uh, the ticket size. So, you know, you have to do multiple transactions uh, to get, you know, as much as capital you want to raise from uh, this particular source. So, you know, the five ships that we did in five different bilateral transactions was just a little shy of $100 million. But in China, if you do something, you can do it on a bilateral basis. But then you'll probably pay a little bit more out there. So... Um, um, it's, it's certainly been a good source of capital for our business, and uh, you know we certainly are ambitious and want to further develop uh, diversifying our capital. So yeah, we you know we follow and monitor this market quite closely. Okay. Um, so for several decades, there's been a very strong reluctance in Japan uh, to finance crude tanker assets, and I think that's one of the examples of a type of asset that Japanese typically don't prefer or like to finance. Um, you know, for some of us in, in, from the West, we might think that the basis on which that, uh, that position has been taken may be a little bit misguided, um, but there certainly is a lot of sensitivity as to what type of, of assets you can uh, finance in Japan. Um, the ones that usually, uh, the, the tanker deals that usually make it through here in Japan are product tanker deals. And uh, there's usually some kind of limitation on uh, trading pattern or cargo in order to avoid sort of a loophole whereby you do a transaction for an LR2, uh, but essentially you can trade as an Aframax in the crude trade. So this is a question for, for uh, Hafnia. Does this impact your um, pull towards Japan that you may see trading limitations uh, in the financing uh, arrangements here? Yeah, obviously um, what you trade and where you trade is, uh, is very important. You want as much flexibility as an owner as you want. Um, I think in the, it's indeed for the larger sizes in the product tankers where it's more of an issue than any other uh, segment in the product tanker uh, industry. Um, given a certain size of your fleet, you should be able to uh, to work um, uh, with that in where you trade those uh, those ships. But if it's uh, an issue, uh, definitely it would uh, impact our pool towards that market. Um, although I think going forward, if you're looking at um, uh, transactions in this market, there should be a way of trading as flexible as possible. Okay. Andreas, in Ocean Yield, you, have, uh, you pride yourself on having you know, very high level of diversification, which uh, from, uh, you know, your investors being typically yield-driven makes a lot of sense. But that also means that you have a lot of assets that, from a Japanese perspective, would probably seem somewhat uh, odd or at least unknown. Um, what has been your, uh, what has been the lessons that you've learned from your recent interactions in Japan with regards to uh, assets that are not just bulk carriers or product tankers? Yeah, no, you're right. I think today we have around 60 vessels, ranging from car carriers to bulkers, tankers. Uh, we have some offshore assets, uh, etc. I think the bulkers are probably the most easy ones to to, to finance in this market. Um, I think for us, it, the importance is, uh, as was mentioned here before, sort of diversifying our, our funding base and, and making sure that we optimize our cost of capital in uh, in any single transaction, but also on an overall basis. Um, 
we've actually spent quite a lot of time looking at, uh, I think, two different asset types here in Japan in particular. One is sort of PCTCs, which is clearly a market which uh, the Japanese uh, financing providers are quite familiar with. Uh, and where uh, you can obtain uh, quite attractive terms, despite, I would say, the, the fairly challenging the underlying fundamentals of that market. Uh, so there, coming back to what was said earlier, it seems like the markets are somewhat more sort of counter-cyclical. Um, and then uh, we've actually, uh, without jinxing it, I think we are fairly close to, to refinancing two vessels that we have, which are offshore vessels, with long-term contracts to a... Uh, not an uh, oil major, but probably the largest uh, independent oil company operating in the North Sea. Uh, so the vessels will be refinanced more on a cash flow basis than on sort of an asset-based uh, lending basis. So, you know, assuming we're successful on that, uh, I think that that's um, illustrating that uh, it is possible if, if the assets are, are okay, but even more so sort of supported by underlying uh, cash flows from uh, a credit-worthy counterpart. And then again, Ocean Yield is also a, uh, as a creditor, you know, uh, offering the diversified asset base, et cetera, uh, to, to the lenders in the transaction. So for the last uh, 12 to 24 months, uh, from our point of view at Fernley, we think that one of the hottest topics has been JOLCOs. Uh, there's been a lot of new entrants. You've seen, as was mentioned in the previous panel, uh, other uh, tonnage providers and leasing companies effectively making use of um, JOLCOs to, to fund themselves. Um, as was mentioned earlier, you know, they, they have the potential to be much larger than the bilateral leases. Uh, and they're usually very competitive. But on the other hand, they do carry some serious impediments. As was mentioned earlier, uh, usually a lack of flexibility due to only having one purchase option. Uh, this also means that material risk is shifted and concentrated towards the end of the lease as uh, you get to this option. And uh, the, the risk that the option is declarable in adverse market conditions. Um, and this was a topic in, in another conference I was in here in Japan. There's a lot of speculation as to what will happen at that stage. You know, if you have this big growth in, in, uh, in the JOLCO market for shipping, hitting a da general down cycle in shipping when, when these JOLCOs taper off. Um, maybe, Scorpio, if you, uh, Vikram, if you can start. Um, have you seen real measures put in place uh, by JOLCO arrangers or underwriters to deal with such scenarios? Um, and if so, uh, you know, should or could they be widely adopted uh, in order to de-risk part of the Japanese leasing industry? No, um, you know, the only thing probably I would say is uh, instead of one call option, maybe you could get a couple of call options, but it's still quite restrictive and uh, not flexible. And for us, uh, flexibility is very important. Certainly, it depends where you are on the market cycle because the advantages of JOLCO is certainly the high leverage. So if you need the liquidity and everything, it's a very interesting product to explore and pursue. Um, but um, you know the flexibility, the lack of it uh, in terms of the purchase options, is is certainly an issue for us. But it's a, it's again another product that we like to see and uh, follow uh, where the market is, and uh, we do get some good updates on that on that particular product. But what we have been doing in Japan is the small bilateral deals with ship owners where you get multiple purchase options 
and even its uh, very uh, competitive pricing. So we certainly like that product. And for us, the most important thing is, uh, um, you know, we really don't need to do really big, big deals. We are happy to do small. And then the idea is it's all about relationship building. You know, six months later, 12 months later, you can discuss another project and grow your uh, relationship with the particular financial institution over time. So uh, that's generally the way we approach. So we are fine with small. But, um, uh, you know, if we do need high leverage, then um, certainly it's a product that, you know, we would consider and explore. So actually, Andreas, before I ask you another question, I'd like your views on this because you are essentially a, a tonnage provider and a leasing company, uh, but you are more operational, I would say, than a lot of the Jolco underwriters. Uh, you know, is there? How do you de-risk uh, the leases that you that you provide to uh, to operators, uh, and ensure that if something were to go wrong, that you can manage the vessels, etc.? Yeah, no, I think uh, that that's uh, that's the right um, observation. And I think first and foremost, I think most of our leases we we provide uh, purchase uh, options. There's very few that have purchase obligations. Um, so actually, we're we're happy taking on the residual risk. I think the way that we mitigate that is uh, we try to to do long-term leases, and long-term being uh, 10 years plus, uh, and we also focus on modern assets. So the way we then do it is to make sure that we have a residual uh, exposure at the end of the lease, which is acceptable to us. Uh, and there are many ways of, of structuring, you know, the lease, depending on what the preferences are. Some so solve for sort of a cost of capital, others uh, solve and look for the cash break even. Uh, I think uh, more recently we've, we've done deals which has sort of a fairly steep amortization profile built into the lease, taking down our exposure. So from that perspective, we're, we're call it happy to, to become owners after the, uh, the end of the period. Um, but that said, we, we will have a more, call it, cautious view on the residual than, um, than many, many other, other owners might, uh, might have, depending on sort of where you are in the cycle. And I think to, to answer your second question with respect to sort of uh, the capabilities that we have uh, in the event that we get vessels re-delivered, I think we are a fairly small organization, uh, but relative to a traditional, at least Western bank, I think we, we have the capabilities and the, uh, the abilities internally to... To, to do the commercial uh, management of the vessels and, and also then to to, to seek uh, technical management from uh, from external providers. So there there are examples where we've gotten vessels back and where we've actually you know taken the view that we're better off uh, trading her um, for a shorter or longer period of time to make sure that we maximize the value of the vessel, rather than what you typically see with banks that. Uh, aren't equipped or aren't allowed or aren't willing to, to, to do the same and, and are often forced to sort of, you know, foreclose or to sell the vessel at the wrong point in the cycle. Thank you. So that, uh, that actually brings us to the next point, which is your business model is, uh, shares a lot of common attributes with um, many lessors, uh, be it in, in uh, Japan or, or China. Um, and my colleague mentioned earlier, uh, Vetle, that uh, a lack of flexibility and the time to execute uh, is usually or can be a hind of, hind of a hindrance to Western owners and operators who want to come to this market. You know, if you're under a bit of time pressure to uh, refinance a facility, if someone tells you the process is going to take effectively four months, that's maybe not the time you have available. 
Now you, on the other hand, uh, pride yourselves on having those attributes that you're very speedy and when it comes to execution and that you give flexibility. So are you in competition with a typical Japanese lessor or are your businesses complementary? I think to a certain extent we're uh, very much complementary. Um, I, I do think that, you know, and credit to uh, the likes of, of uh, BW or Hafnia and, and Amico, Starbuck and, and also Scorpio for, for raising, I would say, very attractively priced capital in, in Japan, which we're also increasingly trying to do. Uh, but I think the limitations that has been laid out here are, are also providing room for someone like our, our product in, in the capital structure. I think we've, um, we've done a transaction with Scorpio and with Vikram uh, on the Bulker side, uh, and definitely our ability to, to move quickly uh, and to, to get things done on a much more accelerated timetable could, could come in handy, whether it's M&A or whether it's refinancing or whether other sort of factors uh, playing into it. Um, so, you know, for sure, um, one should, uh, I would, I, we often say to our clients uh, that, you know, you should take as much as you can from, from, from Japan and where there are sort of other factors playing in, it's probably room for, for someone like us to, to, to plug the gap and subsequently then we can go and, and, and raise financing for potentially the same vessels in, in Japan but in due course. So I think we've also seen the same limitations and, and as such for us, it's easier to use this market for refinancing purposes rather than uh, sort of force first point of, uh, of uh, financing when you do a tr new transaction. Yeah, I just uh, <coughs> wanted to, uh, to add to that. that uh, no, I agree with you that it's, uh, I believe you're a complementary source. But it, it's also true that we, we have had experiences in Japan which have varied quite a lot. But what we, uh, in terms of speed of execution, but uh, what we appreciated is that once we agreed some terms... Uh, they were always respected, so there were never any surprises. And if there was any uh, delay in the process, it was maybe because the owner was taking a bit longer to get the, the loan approved from the regional bank. Uh, but in some cases, the deals were actually very fast. Uh, and uh, on the Joko side, we only did one Joko. Uh, from when we started working on the documentation, that was in early December, uh, the vessel had to be delivered. It was going to be delivered to the yard, so we, we had to finish this before delivery uh, in uh, the first week of January. We, we managed to complete everything in, uh, in one month and maybe in one week. So it was uh, actually quite fast, and it, that was a completely new product for us. Uh, it was expensive uh, in terms of legal fees. So this is something that we didn't really understand when we got into the process. It costs maybe three, three times as much as a <laughs> uh, in terms of legal fees, but it, uh, it went smoothly. And uh, so yeah, from that perspective, we are very happy. That's an interesting, uh, interesting experience. Um, so earlier I alluded to there being a gradual but clear transition amongst the traditional bilateral lease providers towards chasing higher returns and wanting to look at debt or debt-like products with an upside. Uh, I think uh, Jigo from uh, Tokyo Century was sitting on an earlier panel. I could kind of read between the lines a bit that you're moving more toward sort of MES, junior loan and, and that type of thing and then joke arranging rather than just providing traditional senior debt. And that seems to be a clear trend amongst uh, several entities in Japan. Um, so I don't think we'll be seeing uh, Japanese institutional capital subscribing, you know, tens of millions of dollars in uh, equity raises in Western listed companies 
uh, any day soon. Um, but I want to ask the panelists uh, two questions. Could we, could we be witnessing the emergence of equity appetite from Japanese entities? And if so, for what kind of equity and uh, which type of projects? Whoever wants to go first. Uh, maybe to, uh, to kick off, it's not necessarily where we have uh, that experience already, but what you see uh, typically uh, with, with Japanese finance institutions being very much relationship driven, that um, equity into joint ventures, possibly in combination with uh, the trading houses, would be an obvious uh, lower hurdle transaction rather than going for straight equity, as you mentioned, because that, I think, is a bit further out than uh, more the joint venture type of deals. Hmm. Yeah, I would also say, like, you know, our understanding of the mentality in uh, Japan um, ship finance is that straight uh, equity would be very challenging. Uh, you know, we generally see them as very good, uh, at least the transactions that we have done, as very good debt facilitators between international ship owners like ourselves and the local uh, Japanese shipping banks, and that works well for us. Sure. I think we actually have an, uh, an example in our group. So uh, Ocean Eel's uh, largest shareholder is Acre uh, ASA, which is a Norwegian conglomerate. And uh, Acre has a, uh, another uh, call it portfolio company called Acastor. And um, Acastor has um, uh, created sort of a joint venture where Mitsui have co-invested into their, uh, their fleet of offshore assets. Um, and they're building on, uh, on that. So there you actually have sort of straight equity coming in from, from a Japanese institution. Um, and I think uh, over time, the ambition is clearly to, to grow that and also then to use that as uh, sort of an entry into the Japanese financing market for those type of, type of vessels. Good. Um, so as uh, knowing the Japanese market the way uh, you guys do, can you think of a smart and sensible uh, financial product to bring or introduce to the Japanese market. I'd like one suggestion from each of you and maybe just a supporting sentence. Um, so if I, if I start, um, maybe a structure similar to the KS market that you have in, uh, in Norway, um, in which essentially uh, Japanese owners are basically there to partner up with international owners on the equity side, further to what was previously said, um, which also would uh, give the uh, potential for larger projects. Um, I think that would be beneficial to the shipping markets um, and definitely add something extra to the Japanese financing market as we see today. Sorry, that was a long sentence. <laughs> um, my sentence will be a little bit shorter. I would just say the notion of scrubber financing. You know, we get it from uh, the European banks. We get it uh, from the institutions in China. Um, even, the, even the deal that we recently did with uh, Ocean Yield. But in Japan, we've been unsuccessful in getting scrubber financing. So I would just say probably that product because uh, we are buying a lot of scrubbers <laughs> and uh, that certainly helps. And of course, there's a very good Japanese study on the market that it's good. So uh, but that is one item that we haven't been able. But notwithstanding that, just the deal itself that we've been doing in Japan, we've been very happy with. 
I think one uh, I would say a challenge to Uniqlas is probably to take the uh, the key characteristic of the Norwegian bond market and and try and sort of uh, monetize on that in uh, in the uh, Japanese retail market. I think that uh, you've seen the uh, increasing appetite in Norway from retail investors to to basically invest. Um, in the through bonds, which are sort of smaller denomination, into high quality shipping names, uh, that's probably a, a quite unique way for for both institutions, but also for retail investors to gain, uh, I would say, fairly attractive yields uh, and exposure into the market uh, through through sort of very regulated and um, and well governed uh, type of uh, credit papers. We'll send in the FSA application tomorrow. <laughs> Um, yeah, maybe to add to that, um, I think more in general in the debt financing market where you see uh, in general the struggle for banks to uh, to work on is uh, anything uh, age-related in terms of um, uh, fleet financing. Uh, you see lots of banks also struggling with uh, the structure of their capital, uh, which is Basel IV-related. So anything that could uh, provide affordable financing for more older fleets would be, uh, be welcome. Yeah, no, I'm uh, pretty happy with the products uh, that are available now in, uh, in Japan. The, 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 the plain vanilla products, uh, uh, we don't necessarily need very complex products. But uh, I would say that uh, if uh, there is an interest in uh, uh, obtaining higher yields and obtaining some uh, uh, additional exposure to the equity uh, with some uh, fixed income-like features, then maybe preferred equity or convertible bonds could also be an alternative. Uh, that the Japanese market could explore. Yeah, that's, uh, that was my thinking as well. I think preferred equity should be an interesting int instrument for uh, a growing number of, of investors in, uh, in Japan. Um, one last point, and here the audience can, can comment or, or if anyone has any questions uh, to the panelists, but uh, we in, in Friendly Securities on... Our experience has been that we've succeeded in getting Japanese institutional investors and companies to write equity checks, but as Andreas pointed out, it's mostly been in sort of private JVs and, and things like that. Um, and today, listed companies, when they raise equity, are almost exclusively relying on the Norwegian, uh, UK, and US uh, institutional investor, investor markets. So will we see Tokyo at some point become... Uh, a relevant equity market for uh, foreign listed shipping companies? That's uh, an open question. If anyone has any comments to that, feel free. No? <laughs> Whoever. No? Okay. <laughs> I guess one of the challenges is the, the time aspect, right? And the, I think the, the Norwegian market has sort of uh, taken pride in being a very quick uh, market uh, from many perspectives. I think the, the regulatory requirements are, uh, are strict but flexible, uh, which enables people to tap the market, uh, you know, basically overnight. Um, and at least my experience is that the type of, uh, call it drive-by processes that uh, uh, banks like yourself run in Norway are great for us as issuers, but it's uh, probably less so friendly for uh, institutional investors, uh, particularly here in, uh, in Japan, that probably require somewhat more time to, to process and then to basically form a decision. 
So I think that could be a major obstacle uh, for, for that kind of money to come in. I hope you're wrong. We want to open up this market. So <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Okay. Oh, and we very much welcome that type kind of capital. So I think that the, it's also sort of a, um, I would say, a, a quest for us as, as uh, existing and potential issuers to make sure that we, we invest and spend the time up front, uh, both from a marketing perspective and also from an educational perspective to ensure that, you know, when the day is there, already the homework has been done. So it's a matter of sort of saying yes or no. Good. I'd like to thank uh, the panelists for their contributions. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.